Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Tune in weekly as Chris answers questions live from around the world and discusses topics in junior development, technical and tactical training, Spanish tennis methods, and philosophies, and more. The Prodigy Maker Show is primarily focused on high-performance junior training and how to help children maximize their potential. The program features intelligent insight from Chris and debate from leaders in the high-performance industry. The show can be watched live on Chris's Facebook profile, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. Hey, what's up, amigos? It's Chris Lewitt, episode 36 of the Prodigy Maker Show, coming to you live from the New York City area. Sorry to miss you guys last night. We usually do the show on Thursday nights, and in this case, I was working late again, so we're doing the show this afternoon, hopefully before my kitties get home from school. So the show today is about how to find a great tennis coach for your kid, or how to pick a great tennis coach for your kid, because it's actually harder than it might seem. First, I think it's just hard to find someone who's very high quality. And then I'd like to briefly touch on a couple essays that I've been working on this week. I've been writing some for online and for my blog. My blog is at prodigymaker.com. Check it out. It's totally free. Very good resource. And I've been writing about how to keep a great tennis coach, which is also sometimes harder than it seems, and also how to afford a great tennis coach, because oftentimes a great tennis coach is not cheap. So I thought we'd touch on all those topics and turn it into a great show, and I think it'll be a great resource for parents, especially parents, and also for players and for coaches. Sometimes I think coaches will have an interest and will learn from, from understanding what parents are looking for. So if sort of flipped around. So I think it'll be a useful show for all. I did want to mention that on episode 22 of the Prodigy Maker show, going back about a year or so, I did have a great discussion on the mistakes that parents make when choosing a tennis coach. So I thought I'd refer you guys to that. If you have the time and are interested in the topic, check out episode 22 of the Prodigy Maker show. I think it's a good show. The first half of the show is on Spanish tennis training, the methodology in Spain, and some of the legend, legendary coaches in Spain. So there's, a, there's half of the show on that. And then near the latter, part, latter, uh, latter parts of the show, there's some excellent talk about how to pick a great tennis coach, what makes a great tennis coach, and, and uh, the mistakes that are common, commonly made by parents. So... One of the first ones I kind of get into right away, which is related to what I talked about in episode 22, is parents need to find a tactician or a technician. So right off the bat, you need to figure out for your kid if you need a technical coach, whom I refer to as a technician, or if you need more of a tactician who works on the strategy, the tactical side of the game, and oftentimes those types of coaches are very good with the mental and emotional side of the game too. So right off the bat, I think if you're a parent 
and you're trying to discern what type of coach you need for your kid, how do you pick a great coach for your kid, I think that's the first consideration. Technical or tactical? Generally speaking, and we're going to talk about this on a future podcast, the younger a kid is, usually you want more of a technical coach. You want a hardware type coach who can build your child's strokes, who can build your child's footwork and movement, teach them all the skills that they need to become a high-level player, hopefully a world-class player if they're, they have high ambitions. And so it's very important not to just go by a coach's resume about whom he worked with, he or she worked with. It's very important to analyze the coach's record and to see if they have experience with young children and especially if they're more of a hardware type coach because if you have a little kid who's unformed like a big ball of wax or a piece of clay you need someone who's a molder who's a developer who's a builder and not all coaches are like that there are many coaches who are amazing coaches I've studied with some of them around the world and they don't really take young children and build their strokes. You know, they're not strokes guys. They're not hardware guys. They're more software guys. They, they take a player who's already formed, who have good players who have good hardware, and they mold them in a different way. They certainly develop them, but they develop them more cerebrally. They develop them strategically and tactically, and they polish their already formed game. So as a parent, one of the first things I advise parents when I have these meetings with, with my families that I work with, or sometimes I have players who are, I have a lot of players who come to my summer camp, for example, who are from either international or national. They're not based in the Northeast of the United States, so they can't work with me year round. They can only consult with me, and those players are spread out all across the country or even internationally. And so I have to try to advise them how to find the, the right type of coach for their kids. So I have these conversations quite frequently with parents and with families and with players. So I like advising parents and giving them some wisdom that they can take home and to their region and try to find the best possible coach in their particular region for their kid. So this is one of the first discussions that I have. Does the player need a lot of technical work? You have to be really careful as a parent when you're researching a coach and you see that the coach has a lot of experience with high-level players. For example, they have a tremendous resume with pro players or developing top college players. A lot of parents fall into the trap where they, they see that and they think, okay, great, this coach is going to be fantastic for my little one, my little superstar. And most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, the coaches who are really good with the older elite athletes, they do that for a reason, because they're usually not as comfortable with young children. And when I say young children, I mean as young as you know, four, five, six years old to 10. So the 10 and under range, all the way up to even between 10 and 14, because there are many coaches who are not comfortable, very elite coaches who are not comfortable working with those age ranges. So as a parent, you have to 
find out right away if the coach that you're researching, the coach that you're interested, you think might be a good fit for your kid, do they have experience working with young children, whether that's 10 and under, or that's between 10 and 14, which is more of that, those transitional years, basically the ages uh, eighth grade and, and younger, you know, elementary to middle school years, or are, are, have they mostly inherited players who are 14 and older and worked with a lot of players from that age onward? It's very, very important to understand the history of your coach because if your coach has spent 20 years developing players from 14 to 18 or 20, so taking a fairly formed player and bringing them up to a, an elite level, what I would call a transitional professional level or a top college level, if, if the coach has a lot of experience with that, he may not be the right fit for your 12-year-old or for your 8-year-old or certainly not for your 5-year-old starting out. And many times you just have to ask. Those coaches will say, yeah, I don't work with kids that young. I know a lot of really good coaches, even in this area or across the country, who if you call them up and you have a young kid, five or eight or ten, they, just, they may not call you back. Or they, they may tell you, if you're lucky, they may tell you, you know, check back with me in a, in a little bit. Now, exception is there are some coaches who can hit for the cycle. I don't know if you know the baseball term. I mean, they can hit singles, doubles, home runs, triples, everything. And so those coaches are truly special and rare. If you happen to live in a region where there's a guru like that, someone really, really special, who can not only develop your five-year-old's technique or seven-year-old's technique and movement and do all the fundamental work, all the developmental work, biomechanical work, but also has the experience bringing up older elite players, advanced players, then that, that's something very rare and special, and, and it, it, it does happen from time to time. For example, I'm thinking of my daughter's wrestling coach right now. He's really amazing wrestling coach. He spends a lot of time at the elite level training Olympic hopefuls, right? So he's working with a lot of older advanced athletes in wrestling, and I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to work with my, my daughter, my oldest daughter. I have four kids, but my oldest daughter is turning, she's 13, turning 14 this year. And I wasn't sure if he was going to be an appropriate choice for my daughter because I wasn't sure if he was, he was comfortable working with that age. And my daughter's also starting her competitive journey in wrestling. She's certainly not an Olympic hopeful yet. Maybe someday down the road if we're lucky. But so... There was more of that, there was a lot of the breaking in period where I, I had to observe this coach very closely to see if he was comfortable working with my daughters in, in terms of her age and her ability. And it, he happened to be able to do that very well. And I was impressed with his ability to adjust his teaching to my daughter's level and age. But I think he would never be able to work with someone under 10, like one of my younger kids, for example. So every coach has the age ranges that they're comfortable working with. And also the ability levels. Some coaches are much more comfortable taking an intermediate or advanced player and taking, taking them to the next level. And some coaches are, are very comfortable with young children who are maybe just starting out or they haven't even played a tournament yet. So these types of 
considerations are super critical for you if you're in a region and you're looking for the best coach in the area for your kid. The best depends on how you qualify it and the best quote-unquote coach in your area may not be the best coach for your kid if they're young, if they need technical work. Classic example is, I usually use this example with parents, is a lot of parents will seek out the best coach in their area who happens to be a college coach. And typically college coaches aren't as comfortable with young children. They aren't as comfortable with technique. Why? Because they spend their whole careers working with 18 to 22 year olds primarily. And most of those kids don't need technical work. Most of those kids are working more cerebrally, mentally and emotionally and tactically. So most the skill set of a college coach is typically very, very high, very qualified in those areas, probably not as qualified in biomechanics, in working with young children, in motivating young children, and building the game from the ground up. That is to say, not all college coaches, like I said, some, some college coaches can do it all, they're amazing, but I, I would say that's rare. So it doesn't matter, college coach, tour coach, you might have the greatest tour coach in the world in your area, but he may not be comfortable and he may not have the experience working with the little one. So he may have on his resume, oh, this guy's amazing. He's from my, uh, my region, my town, my, my county, my state. He, he's traveled around the world with top 100 players. Wow, that's impressive. But... Think about it. Just use your intelligence, parents. That guy hasn't been working with a little kid in decades. He probably doesn't know the first place to start with a little one. So you have to sort of, you know, you can do a trial. And if that coach is willing to branch out and work with a younger kid, just see, see if he's able to adapt his teaching method, his teaching pedagogy to young children. And especially if your child needs technical work, like your child needs footwork and movement help, You've got to find someone who has those skill sets. This is another area I'll get into in a minute. I just wanted to answer uh, first question of the day. Thank you guys for tuning in and thank you so much for all the waves. I like sometimes going on live at new times because we get a slightly different audience. We have a really big audience now growing who listen to the podcast and who uh, watch the YouTube replays and it's Sometimes fun to do the Facebook Live show at different times because I get a slightly different audience and some people are able to tune in live based on their particular schedule. So this is kind of cool. Thank you uh, for the waves, everyone. You know, usually when you see expert advice on, on a podcast or, you know, uh, publishing media, they say to try to go on exactly the same time every week so people get sort of in the habit of, of knowing you'll be there. I think there's some truth to that, but it's also nice to sometimes have a change. I would like to say just quickly, before I get to the first question, that on episode 35, last week's show, we had a ton of awesome feedback. I had a number of parents who contacted me and they were blown away. So I, I just really appreciate that, guys. Thank you for, number one, listening to the whole podcast and show, because I know we usually do a pretty substantial show. And I'm always trying to uh, be more efficient and get the show down. I think, I think an hour is, is pretty good. Sometimes we go over if it's, a really, if it's a topic that I'm really passionate about. Sometimes I just get in the zone. I get in the flow. But I just want to thank everyone for, for their feedback. And I, 
I know a lot of parents found that show helpful. If you didn't listen to it, check it out. It's all about how to help your kid play better at tournaments. So it's very practical. A lot of good, simple advice that, that parents can use, and coaches too, to help their players play better at tournaments. So thank you. I just wanted to thank you guys for that. Another thing is I know a lot of you have mentioned to me about upgrading my video capabilities here. And we're definitely going to do that probably in the next year. But right now we're just keeping it real, legit at level 10, the highest level of real. It's me and my smartphone. So I apologize for all of you video fans of the show. You know, the, the show is... It's really a podcast, but I like to do the, the live question and answer, and we, we can definitely expand the video capabilities. I, I will do it, but it's just a matter of time. Right now, we're busy in the summer camp sign-up season, and I'll probably be able to get to it later in 2020. We can set up a tripod and, and maybe even multiple camera angles. And you know, Sometimes in the future, when we have, if we have guests on the show, we may start to do that more. But right now, I just really like the convenience I'm in a nice rhythm where we're able to do the show three or four times a month, which, which is cool. We get at least two or three shows a month right now, sometimes every week. And I like the convenience of being able to do the show on my phone. Last week, we got in a jam, and I did the show from my car, and it worked out pretty well. Also, right now, I have, have had no complaints about sound quality, so the sound of the show has been, been pretty good overall. And so... I just need to play with the, the tech a little bit, and we'll, we'll try to improve this uh, in the coming year. So thank you, all, everyone, for your feedback on that. And I, I do know that we will get more of a, a, a show audience, more people watching the show when we upgrade the video technology. But try to bear with us as we, we work on that over the, in the New York area. In New York City, I live right next to New York City on the New Jersey side, so I teach in Weehawken and Hoboken area, outdoors, in the public parks here. I teach all over New York City, and I have taught in New York City for many years, either in Queens or in Bronx. I like to teach at the New York Tennis Club in the Bronx, for example, which has nice clay courts. I'm definitely partial to clay court clubs. We teach... We run our programs three times a week in Lower Westchester, just north of New York City, which is at the Tennis Club of Hastings. So those are the main locations for me. I live right around Manhattan, so I have clients there. Some clients will come to me in the public park on the New Jersey side where it's, the court time is free. And I teach more, more in the Bronx and in Lower Westchester. A lot of my Manhattan clients will come to Lower Westchester because the club's really nice. There's a beautiful club at the Tennis Club of Hastings in Hastings-on-Hudson. All right, so let's get back to how do you find the right tennis coach. We were talking about technician versus tactician. We were talking about what is a coach's experience, what age, what level. What else do you look for with a coach? Well, one thing that's really important is that the, the, the coach has a style that works for your kid. So there's different styles of teaching, different styles of coaching. What I mean, I don't mean exactly the method, although the coaching philosophy is really important. But maybe we could talk about that a little bit. But for me, when I say the style, I mean the way the coach is, the personality. 
And some parents want that. Some parents want someone who can be really tough and who can demand a ton and discipline their child. Maybe that's something that their child needs. It's kind of like sending your child to military school but without sending them away. So some coaches are on that end of the spectrum. They're hard to find, I think, nowadays, but they're around. They're especially around New York City. We have a lot of Eastern European visitors here, whether they're on visa or they have a green card here. And so sometimes you see, you know, a lot of Russian coaches are like that. A lot of Eastern European coaches tend to be pretty tough and sometimes a little cold. I would caution parents, and I've had this talk with many parents before. I remember a a family that I was consulting with from the Midwest, and I was I was telling them the coach they were working with was actually a tough Spanish coach. I'm not going to name names, but the coach was a very hard, hard-ass Spanish coach, tough Spanish coach. And they were saying that they weren't sure if it was right for their little girls, you know. And I said, yeah, well, maybe you should trust your parental instincts on that because he sounds borderline abusive. You know, he's very... Um, militaristic and you know I don't particularly like that style I like tough style but I like tough with a lot of warmth I like the classic Spanish style of coach there's a lot of personalities in Spain a lot of the, there's a coach coaching style in Spain that is tough with a lot of love and for me that's the best possible combination that to me is more of the middle ground so I've had a lot of mentors in Spain like that Tony Nadal comes to mind. Luis Bruguera comes to mind. Coaches who are very demanding, very tough, but also there's a warmth to them. There's a strong connection between them and their students. And I, I personally tried to practice that style myself. And I will admit, when I was a younger coach, I was, I was maybe a little too harsh with my students. I was really going for the going to be the Robert Lansdorp of the East Coast. You know, I, I was so, had this young idea in my head that, when, you know, that I would, it was inchoate, this inchoate idea that I would, I would be the Robert Lansdorp, the tough dude on the East Coast. And, you know, it worked for some kids, but I also, I think I was too harsh with some of my students back in the day, it's going back maybe 15 years now. And... Over time, as I traveled to Spain, I've told this story before, as I started to see a, a better way, a, a more productive way, and a healthier way for my students, where I could still be very demanding, or as they say in Spain, very exigent. But at the same time, I could develop a warmth and connection with my students, like a friendship, and off the court, I could have this friendliness with my students. And that's sort of what I, I really strive for that golden pathway now, uh, the golden middle road, as I would call it. The other end of the spectrum is coaches who are very soft, who are very compliant. They are not commanding like the drill sergeant, tough coach. They are, they are accom- too accommodating. So they're, they're marshmallow coaches. They're soft and accommodating. And at some country clubs do run high-performance programs. It's rare to find a demanding, tough environment in a country club. Why is that? Because it's a country club. 
And I make jokes about this all the time. My students know all my country club jokes. But you know, I say my academy is not a country club all the time. Because country clubs are places where you go to chill and relax and have a good time and it's very laid back and the intensity is lower. Most people are trying to get a break from their intense lives at the country club and so it's, it rubs off on most of the staff there. Very rare to find a tough, dry, uh, hard driving coach at a country club. Uh, they're, they're sort of, they're, they sort of can't coexist, those two things. So very rare if you do happen to find that, but may, probably that coach is leasing the court time at a country club. He doesn't actually work for the country club. Because if you work for a country club, you just are forced into this mold of being like, find them. Like how, like, how do you find the good coach? Like, where do you find them? So the best place to find them, a lot of times they're working on their own. Why would a top coach, a really great coach, a talented coach be working on their own? Because they don't want to have a boss, because they want to make more money. They feel they deserve more money. They don't want to give a cut of, of what they're doing to, their, to the boss or the club. So a lot of times the best guys and girls who are coaching, they will, you'll find them independently. And that means they may not have the best marketing budget. So you, you may need to search a little bit. Probably the best way to find them is through word of mouth and through the tournament scene, looking at the tournament players, looking at the rankings, maybe asking some parents if the parents are willing to tell you. Some parents won't tell you. I've had parents who won't tell other parents that their kid works with me, for example. They're, they're very protective. You may think that's crazy, but that's pretty common with parents who are very competitive. But, you know, a lot of parents will share who they're working with, even though they, they'll do it reluctantly. And that's probably the best way to find out who's the man in your area, I just or woman, to be uh, gender equal here. In, in your region, you need to find out who is the guru, who is, who is the guy or girl developing the superstars, the prodigies, who's making the prodigies. You know, the show is called Prodigy Maker. Every region usually has one of those go-to people. Maybe a, there's a handful. So you make a short list. And then you got to bring your kid there and see if there's a rapport. You got to do a lesson and pay for pay for a lesson and see if it's good. See if it's good. Observe the coach. See if there's a good connection. If the coach is able to make your child laugh. If the coach is able to push your child. If there's a warmth there and also a, a some exigency, a demanding aspect to the lesson. And then you you start to see sometimes there's a honeymoon period. Usually you want to try a few few lessons. A few you want to meet that coach a few times, a few different you know different uh, uh, maybe in different scenarios, and then and make sure that it's going to work. And then you can start to work on find, you know developing that commitment, which we're going to talk about in a moment. How do you keep someone good like that? And I'll try to go through those those lists quickly. Uh, that those were the two uh, the two essays that I wrote. The how do you keep someone like that? How do you afford someone like that? But you know, you you look for that that guru. And you got to do some sort of trial lesson, and, and that's probably the only way you're going to know. You can do some due diligence beforehand, but you really got to bring your kid there and observe. So here's the thing that I, I would advise all parents. I would say don't allow for a closed practice. I'm, I'm a very much against closed practice policies. I'm against them in high school, like my daughter, for example. We were faced with a bit of a crisis this season because she wanted to wrestle for her school team. The school would not allow 
myself or my wife to, uh, to watch any of the practices, none of them. And my daughter was the only girl on, she was going to be the only girl on the team. So all boys, all male staff, all male coaches, one girl, 13 years old, and the athletic director, the principal of the school couldn't see, couldn't see the, the issue that I had with putting my daughter in that situation. And I pulled her out. I made it, I said, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. My daughter wanted to do it. And I, I, I said, I'm not going to let you go to a closed practice where I don't know what is going on. I don't know who is saying what, I don't know what boys are saying to you. I don't know what coaches are saying to you. Not only for your wrestling, I don't know what they're teaching her there, but just also for her health and, and welfare. You know, I just felt it was a completely tone deaf policy by the administration of the school. I still feel that way. And it looks like we've negotiated a way for me to participate next year, possibly as a volunteer. But just in general, I don't agree with the philosophy of closed practices. I think that as a parent, you need to be able to observe how the coach interacts with your kid. If a coach says, no, 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 just trust me, I would just walk the other way, to be honest. That's my personal opinion. And I know there are some great coaches who say that. And they expect your 100% trust. But trust has to be earned. And especially in the early going, even the first six months or a year of a relationship with a new family or new kid, a coach should, be, should understand that you need to observe your child with the, with the coach in action. And I think a lot of coaches who do that maybe don't have their own children and they're just overly strict and rigid in their philosophy. And I just won't work with someone like that. So if I meet a great coach, I think, wow, this coach has an amazing resume, an amazing CV, and I really want my son or daughter to train with this person. If they say to me, okay, bye, uh, I don't allow parents to watch or even watch. I I mean, I'm not saying I I need to... uh, be involved in the lessons. I'm saying if, if the coach says, no, you're not even allowed to watch. And I say, no, no, I'm sorry. We don't, we don't have, we don't, we don't allow that for our children. We always have to, uh, we always have to have the right to observe our children when they're in any kind of training situation, especially if they're one-on-one with a male coach. As you know, there are many stories about abuse in sports, in sports coaching, these days, you read it all the time in the news. I just think as, as a parent, you just want to be on the safe side. At the worst case scenario is always in the back of my mind. It's abuse, whether it's physical abuse, psychological abuse, or sexual abuse. And there's just no way I'm going to let my, any of my daughters or my son, for example, be one-on-one with a coach who I don't know very well, and even a coach I do know very well, because at the end of the day, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust anyone with my girls, you know? So, we got a comment here on the board. That's insane, that should be a legal issue for that school. So this is a big debate. Shali, or Shali, sorry, I don't know the pronunciation. This is a big debate all across the country with schools and their practice policies. Some schools have had lawsuits against them for having a closed policy, but many schools stand by those closed uh, policy practices. And just where I come down on the issue is I'm very much against a 
a closed policy. I understand that the schools, they don't want meddling parents who are interfering with the vibe and the, you know, the overall flow and rhythm of a practice. I totally get that. I'm a coach. You know, I'm a professional coach. And that's mainly what the administration is thinking. Normally, I think they, they, are, say, they are thinking, well, I don't want this parent, you know, getting uh, super involved or becoming a problem or distracting other kids, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's all well and good. I just think there's got to be a way to compromise and also promote transparency. Transparency so that a parent can be assured that their child's health and welfare is, is prioritized. And also a transparency so the, the parent, if the parent's involved with the child's athletic education, they, they know what the kid is learning. In the end, it's better for the kid because the parent can go home and reinforce topics that were, that were addressed on the mat or on the field or on the court. It's better for the child because the parent can reinforce some good things. Now, if a parent is unruly or obstreperous or difficult in some way and distracting, then that parent can be justifiably asked to not participate in any practice, or maybe there's a way to put them far away where they can't be directly involved with the team. But I just have no tolerance for a fully closed policy, whether whether it's by a school. Many schools do that now. It's a big debate in the news. You can read all about it if you search these, uh, if you search for it online. Big debate between administrators and parents of, uh, in school systems. And I certainly don't tolerate that kind of policy with a private coach, with a coach who's working one-on-one with my daughter, for example. You can imagine on the wrestling mat where my daughter's getting, you know, she's getting touched a lot. You have to instruct with feel and touch as a wrestler. So you can imagine there's just no way I would ever condone that. And believe it or not, the administrators at my daughter's school could not understand why I was being so difficult about such an issue. Crazy, right? Anyway, so I just think as a parent, you're looking for the best coach for your kid. You, you have to have some flexibility to sometimes sit and watch the practice. I have many parents who watch my practices. They sometimes help pick up balls or they, some of them even get a little involved with, with asking me questions and, and even instructing their kids sometimes because I have some parents who are coaching their kids. And I would never want to completely disconnect those parents from what their child is learning. In fact, I usually leverage the parents' involvement. I usually try to enlist the parents who, are, who want to help with their kids' development. I give them homework assignments. I have them take notes. Sometimes I have them video important subjects that we're working on in the court. I use the parents to help me. They are my best assistants. Sometimes I, I joke about that. I say, this is my my new assistant coach, or sometimes I am the assistant coach and the parent is the head coach. Sometimes you have a parent who's super involved and they're the main coach. And I just think you have to have a flexibility to work with all different types of parents. And sure, I have some parents who they just drop off and they don't come back until the end of the lesson. And maybe we have a once or twice annual meeting to discuss their child's progress. And that's okay too. But I just believe in having a flexible policy as a coach. And I suggest you as parents, when you're searching for a good coach, I suggest you adopt a similar philosophy in terms of uh, who you're you're willing to work. I don't care if they're the greatest coach on earth. 
I'm not letting some dude be one-on-one -on -one with my daughter with no witnesses around, no one to observe. Forget it. Forget that. It's just not worth it to me. All right, so those are some guidelines looking for a great coach. Think about what the type of coach your player needs. Think about the experience that the coach has. What's, what's the coach's real background? What is their record? What have they been doing for the last 10 or 20 years? And always remember that some coaches can run the cycle. They can hit for the cycle. They can do it all, but that's pretty rare. And usually coaches have a specialization in one or the other. So for my own, in my own case, I feel very comfortable. You know, I call myself the prodigy maker because I have a lot of experience. And what does that title mean? That's my, that's my catchphrase. It means I have a lot of experience working with young prodigies. And for me, that, that's from 10 and under and also between 10 and 14. But I, aside from that fact, I have worked with a lot of high school kids and transitioned them to college. So, you know, I, I feel that I'm one of those guys who can probably hit for the cycle. I feel comfortable with all ages. I have a particular passion for the young prodigies, under 14, let's say under 10, but I, I feel super comfortable training kids all the way up to uh, till when they graduate for college. And I don't really do that much college and professional training. From time to time, I have an older professional come in, but that's pretty rare. Most of my focus is on building the young children. And as you guys may know, another area of my expertise is technique and biomechanics. So I love to get a kid in my wheelhouse like that, who's a little bit younger, needs to work on technique and biomechanics, and I love to build those kids up. And usually I will transition them uh, to someone else as they get older, maybe someone who's a little more travel-oriented, someone who, I have four children and I, I travel locally to tournaments, but I, I don't get to as many national, international events as I'd like to. So typically, if I develop a player who gets a really good ranking, top national ranking, they start thinking about traveling on the ITF circuit or something like that, then I usually try to advise the parents, hey, it may be time to start looking for someone who can go with you 20 weeks of the year. Look for someone who specializes in taking your kid from ITF level to the top professional level, something like that, or from ITF level to top college and someone who can travel and be with you like that. You maybe you don't need an expert in biomechanics anymore. So typically that's sort of how I see my role. And it's important as a coach, if you're a coach listening, it's important that you know what your strengths and weaknesses are, what, what type of kids you love to work with. When I have young coaches who are training with me, I do a lot of coach education. I usually advise the coaches. I say one of the first questions I have for coaches, young coaches, who are just getting into the career or on the career path, I say, what type of coach do you want to be? Do you want to be a junior development coach? See, that's my passion, junior development. All ages, but particularly 14 and under, 10 and under, even, even from the, the very beginning. I love, I love all those ages. I love helping high school kids prepare their games for college. But, but you know, you got to have your, your, your specialized. Most coaches have a, their, their favorite age and, and level to work. And I, so I, ask, I say to a young coach, what ages do you like to work with? Where, do you see yourself traveling or do you see yourself more as a home coach? 
typically developmental coach are coaches are a little more home coach and uh, coaches who are like touring coaches they travel a lot that's another thing you may want to consider that does your child need a travel coach all the time or do they need more of a home coach to work on their development and fundamentals you know these are some of the important questions when you're trying to pick a great coach for your kid all right i would say maybe one more one more idea for you guys, and it, it relates back to what we were talking about earlier with the coaching philosophy, the coaching style, the, the actual pedagogy, not the personality now, but what the coach believes in. Do they teach more of a traditional style, like old school? Are they really on the cutting edge where they're teaching more modern, parabolic swing shapes, topspin and acceleration, whip? Some coaches are, are very old-fashioned with the way they teach. Some coaches are really trying to push the envelope into the future. They're trying to be on, uh, in, in the vanguard. So when you're looking for a coach, trying to find the right fit, you, what do you believe as a parent? Do you want your kid learning technique that's tried and true, very conservative technique? Or do you want your kid to learn the future of technique, technique that's on the cutting edge? Some coaches are somewhere in between. What are your coach's strengths? What, what are their experiences? Do, are they experts on footwork and movement? Are they very good with the ground strokes? Are they very good with the volley and net game? Do they have an expertise in the serve? So you start getting into the subspecialties of a coach. It's important to know what your coach is good at and what they're not good at. For example, you can have an amazing junior development coach in your region and Maybe he's great at ground strokes, but not so great at developing movement and footwork. Or maybe he's great with the serve, but struggles with some other aspect of the game. So different coaches will, if they're honest, they'll admit to you that they have more experience and they've studied more in certain subspecialties. And so don't just assume that your coach is a master of everything. Uh, it's very rare that a coach can hit the cycle for all the different strokes and all of the different areas of the game. And whether that, that goes for technique and tactics and psychology, it also goes for within the realm of technique, having an expertise in all of the technical areas. To be really expert in building the complete game, that's also more rare. And you have to do your due diligence and research to find out if the coach has and expertise in those subspecialties. Okay, so I hope that helps you. I've seen many excellent coaches who develop top-ranked national players, but they're not so good with the serve, for example. They're very good coaches. They do things well. Maybe they do something well with the psychology, motivation, do a pretty good job with the ground strokes, but maybe their kids have clumsy movement and their serves aren't that developed. That's pretty common. A lot of coaches don't take the time to study the biomechanics of the serve. The serve is the most complex biomechanical movement in maybe in all sports. And it's very common that tennis coaches don't take the time to read all of the biomechanics, all of the, the literature out there on the serve. They don't uh, study and keep up to date on the latest research on serve technique and biomechanics. So, you know, it's understandable that those types of coaches might be better in, in some other aspects of the game and their kids might suffer, they might suffer a little bit in the, with the serve uh, quality.
quality. I think that's very common, actually, that, that combination. Because to teach ground strokes is a lot easier than to teach the serve just biomechanically and technically. Some coaches don't have much of a knowledge about movement and footwork. You know, they're a little suspect there, but they're very good at strike, teaching the kid to strike the ball well with good power. You know, that's that could pretty common, too. You see that a lot. Some coaches have kind of an old-school attack-the-net, serve-and-volley mentality. I think that's very outdated, very anachronistic nowadays because you don't see many players successful at that style. So be very, very careful. A lot of those old-school coaches are hanging out at the country club. So just be very wary of the country club, everybody. Watch out. That's where the dinosaurs are. The guys in the all-white with the collared shirts. You know who you are if you're watching. Those guys who are teaching the serve and volley, like first to the kids and teaching the very old school ground strokes. Come on, people. Watch out for those dudes. It's not really the way to develop, the best way to develop a high performance player nowadays. So just know what you're getting yourself into as a parent. Know what your coach's specialties are, their specialization, their what have they been studying for the last 10 or 15 years, you know. That's the best advice I can give you. So, should we try to quickly get into how to keep such a great coach? So, you find this great coach in your region. Man, it's tough. Do you know that, in my opinion, having a great coach in your region usually determines the success of many, many players in that region. So, it just, I can't, I don't know if I can prove it through research, but I just... Through anecdotally, over the years, I've read enough articles and stories about when you have a really magnetic, dynamic coach who sets up shop in a region, the players start to follow. Like that person, whoever it is, he's very dynamic, very energetic, very charismatic. That guru coach starts to produce something in, in his or her region. It's really fascinating to me that you start to develop this cluster of el- more elite players all from the drive, the, the locomotion. The, the, uh, it's like a, a, a giant, uh, huge, like a wind tunnel propelling players up and out or forward. You know, it's just this vortex of of this dynamic guru coach. And every, every, not every region has that. So this, if you just take the U.S., for example, there's a number of areas in the U.S. that doesn't have any high-powered guru like that that's churning out, produced by sheer will and sheer passion and sheer f- uh, force of personality and sometimes knowledge. There, not every region has someone like that who's producing great athletes, and in this case, tennis players. It could be any sport. It could be any subject, actually. It doesn't have to be uh, sports. I believe Malcolm Gladwell has written a book on this. Uh, the name, the title slips my mind at the moment, but it's not tipping point. It's the, uh, he's written a few good books, but uh, I'll, I'll look that up later. But you have these clusters, right? And usually, one, one of the Big factors is this guru coach who's energizing athletes and you know usually kids to to uh, 
participate and to, to push themselves. And, and, he, and they're usually a very demanding individual who has, uh, sets a very high bar for success. Could, could be outliers. Jay says, I'm not sure if it's outliers. There's, um, uh, uh, I think it's another title that I'm thinking of, but that's a good, good, very good guess. It might be outliers. Anyway, thank you for that, Jay. So anyway, not every region has someone like that. So I feel very sorry for kids who come to my summer camp, for example, and we have a blast. And I try to be that driving force for all the children who come to train with me, but it, it's for only a limited time. And then they go back to wherever they're from. I have kids from all over, you know, Midwest, California, Texas, all over the country, Nevada. And, and you know, you don't know that they're going to be able to find someone who can keep the momentum going for that kid. And, and this is why I usually have this conversation with parents and it's the same conversation I'm essentially having with you guys live on the show here. It's just I start talking about what, the, what a kid needs and how you're going to find someone special to really propel them upward and, and forward. It takes a tremendous consideration. Do you even have someone within four hours from you who's like that? I'm trying to be that force here in the Northeast. One of my goals career-wise is to become that guru for the Northeast United States so that everyone who's in the Northeast here, whether it's in New York, New Jersey, or New England, or anyone in the Northeastern part of the U.S., they don't feel that they have to go down to Florida to find a guru. I want to be that resource for everyone here in Northeastern U.S. So I'm working hard on that, to be the prodigy maker here in my region, right? And that's not to say there might not be another superstar coach who, who's able to churn out players the same way, who's able to drive success. But I know that it's pretty rare and not every region has it. Just, even if you just look in the US, certainly not in the world, because I have a lot of parents who get in touch with me. They get in touch with me from all over the world internationally and they, they say that in their entire country, they have no one. You know, one of the things that happened in Spain was there, there was an, these amazing coaches that set up shop in Spain, and they helped drive the success of the Spanish players there. Looks like my kids are getting home, guys. I think maybe we should wrap up and, and do the, the uh, how to keep a great coach, how to afford a great coach on the next show. I did want to get to one viewer question before we wrap. To get to the last question, if I can find it here, was from one of my today. Let's see. Okay, so this is from our email grab bag, our email box. Hey, you want to say hello? Hello. Hi. Hi. All right, I'm doing a show right now. This is supposed to be a professional podcast. All right, I'll wrap up in like a minute, and then we'll go. Okay, so I, I got to wrap up. The whole crew is here. When my crew arrives home from school, all bets are off. Hello. That's my medium one. That's Ruby. Say hi. I'm a medium girl. You're medium. I'm a medium boy. You're my superstar piano player. Okay, so the first question was, if you have any questions, remember, guys, you can post them in the comments. 
You can send me questions during the week, and I always try to answer all of the questions that I get in my email mailbox on the show. So if you have a question that I didn't get to, or you, you thought something that I said was interesting, you wanted to ask a follow-up, please feel free to email me, chris at chrislewitt.com, and I can answer the question directly via email, or you can also message me international. You can WhatsApp me at chrislewitt, 914-462-2912, so feel free to do that as well. So the email question of the day was, what do you do to get 100% effort and intensity during practice? The gaps visible in practice just only get bigger during the tournament. Okay, so it's, it's a g- general question. It's from one of my clients, so I know specifically who the student is. But in, in general, and there's a lot of factors that go into making uh, uh, the practice intense and, and getting the, the right engagement from the player. But here, here's what I'll say to answer this first question. Number one is you have to make sure you're structuring your practice according to the student's learning style and personality. Prime example, if you have a very repetition drill mentality as a coach or a teacher, but your child doesn't prefer to learn that way, that's going to be a disaster and you're not going to see full engagement. On the flip side, if you have a philosophy of playing games and doing everything live ball and working things out in, in a point, free play and, and guided exploration, if that's your philosophy as a teacher and a coach, but you have a student who really wants rote repetition, the repetition brings them confidence and they want to do a lot of baskets and dry feeding, you know, dead ball feeding rather than live ball work. That's going to be a big conflict and you're going to see a lack of engagement. So I would say, Jay, the key to engagement is adapting your teaching and coaching style to the learning style of the student. And that to me is always the number one solution for a lack of engagement. Also, you have to try to discern Maybe adjust your motivational style, the way you're talking to the kid, the way uh, your body language with the student, the way maybe there's some, if there's a lack of engagement and the kid wants to be better at tennis, it's probably something that you're doing as the coach or something you're doing as a teacher. And I've learned this the hard way through experience myself. So I'm not talking down to anyone out there who's making these mistakes, but I've had many experiences. I could tell a lot of stories. In fact, I've told some stories on the podcast where I couldn't understand why the kid wasn't motivated, my student. I couldn't understand why they weren't engaged. And then I switched my approach. I switched my style. I switched the, even the drills. Maybe I switched from drills to games or I switched from games to drills or maybe the, the scoring system that I used, or, or the goal setting that I used. I changed, I changed up my, my approach to the kid, and magically I was able to get the engagement that I wanted. So I think the coach is usually responsible for the engagement, the way the coach is setting up the practice, the way the coach is talking, the way the coach is acting, the vibe, and the drills and the structure, drills versus games, the structure of the entire session is, is what's going to affect the engagement. Also, you have to really have empathy as a coach, as a teacher. You have to feel what your player's feeling. And if you sense during the lesson that the player's not engaged, you have to 
try to adapt and try to find a better way to catch their interest and to motivate them so that they can be energized. That's probably the best advice that I could give anyone out there who's seeing their kid or their player and they're not getting the engagement that they want. And so there may be other factors involved. You may have an issue with motivation just generically with the kid. A kid might be a little lazy. Kid might need a kick in the pants. The kid might need a stern talking to. The kid might need you to put your arm around their shoulder and sit down and ask them what's going on today. So every kid is different. Some kids need a pat on the back and some kids need a pat on the butt. They need a kick in the butt. And it just depends on the kid. So you have to use your empathy skills. You have to use your, your intuition and your and you have your best judgment on how to adapt what you're doing to help the player become more engaged. Usually it's the coach or the teacher's fault, the way they're setting up the, the session. Sometimes it's the player's fault if they didn't come with intensity or they're, um, you know, like for example, they didn't eat lunch, so they got no energy. You know, so there are other factors involved, but I'd like to stress the number one factor, which is the structure of the, of the session and the way the coach is addressing and, 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 and speaking and, and the, whole, the whole overall vibe and the way the coach is communicating with the player, you know, all of those things first. And if the player still doesn't show motivation, you know it's not you, you know it's the player, and then you can blame them. Second quick question as we wrap up. How do you change habits related to mental and strategic attitude during practice point play so that you have a shot at translating some of those in the actual match. Example, how do you change the mostly defensive style to aggressive style and recognizing and capitalizing on offense opportunities when defense-only strategy is not working? So whenever you have a disconnect between what a kid's doing in practice and in a tournament, this was one of the main topics of last week's show, episode 35. So if you're interested in this topic and you have a split personality kid Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, you have a, a, a schizophrenic kid who does something well in practice but not in the match, please re- refer back to my last episode, episode 35, because I went into depth about that. But in this case, you have a kid who's learning to be more offensive. This is very, very common with kids between the age of 10 and 14. They're learning to become more aggressive and to be more dominating on the court. So how do you get them to do it in a match? It's, it's hard. The first thing you've got to understand as a parent or a coach is these kids want to win, and they know that if they're more aggressive, they're going to miss shots, and they're probably going to lose. So you have to negotiate that with the player. And so you also have to reduce their anxiety, because when a kid is asked to come out of a defensive mode and to be more aggressive, They're going to make more mistakes, and it's going to jack up, way up their anxiety level. So I think that is really critical that you understand that as a coach or parent and understand that you're asking your child to create a lot of stress for themselves in a match. And from that understanding, you can start to slowly work on chipping away at those fears and those anxieties and getting a kid to hit out and to be aggressive. So uh, this would be a great topic for an entire podcast, but essentially you have to try to manage the anxiety first, the fear of making a mistake, the fear of losing, and you have to make a really good sales job to the kid. I don't think so much with intimidation. 
future of having a successful game in college or on the pro tour. So there's a lot of sitting down and negotiating and selling. And I think selling is... So that would be my basic advice in, in this situation. And the other reminder that I would give, and this is something Tony Nadal says a lot to parents. He says, you know, we know what the kids need to do. We know what the kid needs to do. We know it. We have the experience and we have the, the insight from the outside. But the child, the child may know it too, but it's not so easy for them. The path is difficult for the child to actually implement what we want. So Tony says, and I agree with him, please try to be patient. Understand that when you say something to a kid, they're not going to always do it immediately. They might try it in practice, but to get it right in a match is going to take time. So you definitely want to push and be demanding, but at the same time, you need to be understanding that the progress may not happen immediately. There may be some setbacks. Child may go to a tournament, get stressed out, get anxious, and revert to a defensive style. And then, you know, you have to be understanding about that, pat them on the back, and say, you know what? We're going to try again next weekend. I understand you sort of lost what we were working on there. Next weekend, let's get back at it and try to be more aggressive. And you try to highlight the good stuff that they're doing, and you try, to, try not to focus in too much on, on the times where they revert. You, you mention it, you definitely call them out on it, but you, you, you do it in a way and say, hey, you know what? You're making good progress. I see the future. I some, you remember that shot you hit in the second set, that big forehand? In six months or a year, you're going to be doing that all the time. You, you, you just keep selling them on the future where they're aggressive and they have a big weapon. And eventually, they're going to get the courage and they're going to overcome their fears and anxiety so that they can do what we, what we want them to do. All right, guys. Awesome show. Thank you for tuning in on a Friday afternoon. I got to go hang out with my kids. I have a cooking date with my daughters. We're going to cook up some good stuff in the kitchen here, this very same kitchen that I'm broadcasting live to you guys. So I'm excited for that. Might do a little wrestling with my daughter later. It's going to be fun. Remember, guys, check out our online stuff. Check out the online school, clta.teachable.com. That's where we have all our online programs. Come visit me this summer in the beautiful mountains of Vermont. It's going to be an amazing high-performance tennis camp. Uh, during the summer, it's our fourth year. I'm super excited to have players from all over the country coming to visit me and training very seriously uh, for competition. It is not a recreational camp. It's not a holiday camp, and it's certainly not a country club. It is in the country, but it's not a country club. So come, come to our summer camp. Let me know if you're interested and need more information. My email, chris at chrislewitt.com. You can always call me directly, 914 462 2912. That's my WhatsApp. You could message me on all the, all the social media platforms. I'm everywhere. All right, guys. I'll see you next week. We'll have episode 37. I can't believe it. Have a great weekend. God bless. See you next time. We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. 
If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt, and the show can be watched live on Facebook. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the show. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Vamos.